Hi, I'm Alana Gallo. I'm a teacher, a mom to four, and the founder of Play, Learn, Thrive. Join me as I chat with real parents and experts as we explore all things play and child development. It's time to take the focus away from you and put the responsibility of playtime back into your kiddos' hands. So if you're tired of planning, leading, and facilitating play sessions, you've found the right place. Each week, we'll explore the importance of play and how it supports child development, along with simple ways to incorporate play in a purposeful way, so you can raise confident, self-motivated kids who enjoy playing independently. Hey guys, it's Alana from Play, Learn, Thrive. I have Sheena here today, who's going to be talking about parenting, positive parenting, and play. She's going to introduce herself. Hi, my name is Sheena Hill, and I'm a psychotherapist in private practice at Parenting Works, and I help parents better understand development and attachment through a neuroscience lens, and I exclusively take a developmental approach in my work as a responsive parenting coach. So I really help parents move beyond any rewards or consequences. There's no behavior modification in my work uh, for my parenting clients or my holistic sleep clients. And instead, we focus on some concrete tools in, uh, you know, positive parenting methodologies. So we look at uh, limit setting, using play, obviously, therapeutically, and then, of course, emotional intelligence skill building. Awesome. So when you say no con no you said no positive or negative rewards so can you give me an example so that's it's funny because i'm actually struggling with this right now i sort of i've always taken like a more positive parenting approach tried to for the most part um you know no one's perfect but i've feel like i've recently especially since march <laughs> begun to sort of become more and more negative, like more and more like, if you don't do this, then you can't do this. Or just like, you know, saying things I know I'm like, it's coming out of my mouth and I'm like, don't say that. But I feel like, and and I try not to do consequences. Like we don't do timeouts and and we don't do things like that. But um, I feel like sometimes I'm not really sure what to use and how to how to kind of get the kids to do what I need them to do in the moment without saying something like, if you don't, you know, I try to say like, we can't go to the playground until you're dressed or whatever it is, but there's only so much of that that I feel like I have in me at this point. So I would love to hear some <laughs> strategies for my own personal use, but also just in general for the community. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly... I would say there's, you know, you're in good company for feeling like parenting in the pandemic is harder than normal. I, of all of my clients, and I, you know, I see about 20 parents a week. So of all of my clients, only one uh, has been really thriving in the pandemic. Most of the parents, yeah, most of the parents that I talk to, um, whether they're, you know, they were existing clients or whether they're new clients since the pandemic has started, um, are feeling pretty similarly, right? Their, their reserves are lower, their kids' needs seem higher, and, and both of those things are absolutely true. And then because of that, it sort of creates this, you know, dynamic, right, where we can get stuck in a cycle of power struggles or reactivity or conditionality. And, you know, that makes sense that we go there by default 
because most of us were raised with a conditional approach and with lots of, you know, focus on behavior modification. And our whole society is really focused on behavior modification, uh, you know, much to, to my <laughs> frustration um, because there's this huge myth that it's really the only way to learn, the only way to gain compliance. And um, so one of the things that I help parents do certainly is, you know, look at development first and understand why, you know, are your expectations reasonable for your children? Certainly. And even if your expectations are reasonable, even if your child could normally meet those expectations, recognizing that anytime they're under stress, they're going to have limited access to the skills that they already have. Exactly. So, exactly the same way that we are right now. It's like, yeah. that's how I feel too. It's like, I usually am very patient and very, and I've checked myself a little bit because I'm like, whoa, <laughs> like calm down, you know, but it's, it's definitely, um, it's interesting too, because I'm very against things like behavior charts and stickers and like all that stuff. I, I teach high school kids and I feel like that just comes from such a place of external motivation and wanting to do something to, you know, get the praise or to please somebody or um, because it's just like what you feel like you quote unquote have to do versus actually wanting to do it for the sake of doing it. And that's yeah. important to me. And it is sometimes hard to to remember that that can be applied to such young kids as well. Like that's the whole point is you need to apply that thinking from the start so that you don't end up with the high schooler who like only does things because they're only, you know, they're only motivated by a grade or by getting a sticker or by getting the praise and not by actually wanting to do the work um, for whatever, you know, whatever that work is. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I help parents understand is that dysregulation can look many different ways. Most of the time when we think of dysregulation, we think of an outburst, a tantrum, a meltdown, something that is out of control. And obviously, you know, we, we might have some of those as ourselves as parents, especially right now. Um, but that's really the extreme, right? That's the far end of the spectrum for dysregulation. But there's a lot of things that come before that, that also would be considered dysregulation that might not be as dramatic or as obvious for us on the outside. So, you know, when we think about development, oftentimes we're looking at that interoceptive data, right, that neuroceptive data, all of the, the information that kids' bodies are processing all the time, which is impacting their access to skills and how, you know, satiated their needs are. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times when we are, um, you know, looking at behavior, we are, we're looking at it just, you know, on the surface and we're not necessarily thinking about those needs and skills under the surface. So, so basically anything that is not receptive to or seeking connection is a sign of dysregulation mm -hmm. because our, our brains and our nervous systems really have, you know, it's a binary system. Yeah. Yes, no, safe, unsafe, yeah. you know, uh, right. withdrawal or, or seek. And yeah. so, so if, if they're seeking us or they're receptive to our attempts to gain cooperation, then we know that they're connected and that they're, you know, feeling in that, in that safe place, mm -hmm. right? 
if they're resisting our connection or our directions or, you know, even especially if it's something that they want to do, right? They want to go outside, you know, they want to have playtime, but yet they just won't put on their shoes or switch gears and get out the door. Um, So that's a good signal for us that there actually is some dysregulation going on, right? Because if we're not in connected mode, we're definitely in protective mode. And I think it's, it's often shocking to parents how easily kids can be disconnected, especially now. Parents tell me all the time, right? I'm with my kids all day. How could they possibly yeah. be disconnected? We're so, we're so connected. <laughs> There's yeah. no not connected. But yeah, I mean, emotionally and, and psychologically, or, you know, physically you might be there, but if you're frustrated and you're stressed and you're, you know, multitasking and you're doing whatever, you have your own regulation issues. And then, you know, your kid, yeah, that makes total sense. Like you're physically there, but that connection, that deeper connection really isn't. Well, and I often use the example, many spouses feel like I'm disconnected from my spouse. We live together. Maybe we even sleep in the same bed, but we haven't had a date night in however many months or years, right? Depending on how many kids you have. And, and so, you know, sometimes you feel like, well, sure, we live here together, but, but I don't feel connected, right? We need a date. We need, we need some time. We need to, you know, get back to basics, right? And it's the same thing with our kids because they're really designed. Their whole system is built through connection with us. So, so obviously we're not expecting perfect attunement, right? But, but, uh, you know, there, there are, lots of reasons why kids would feel disconnected or would be otherwise, you know, dysregulated, right? And so, so anytime that a child is dysregulated and you're seeing some of those behaviors, the first thing I want parents to do is recognize what's going on because that helps us not take it personally, right? It helps us have more empathy and to recognize my child is really just having a hard time right now. It's not that they're trying to fight me to get out the door to go to the park or wherever we're going, but you know they clearly are stuck in the subcortical region of their brain, and I need to help them reset because they can't reset on their own. And certainly very young children under four or five years old cannot reset on their own. They always need our help to reset. But yeah. even There's older children... Like this, the whole timeout thing, it's like so controversial because like you said, they need you. Like they're looking yeah. to regulate with you, not by themselves. So that, that makes sense. You know, I'm, I made a post um, the other day with a beautiful quote by Katie Hurley about how sending kids away when they're in distress doesn't build resilience. It's just loneliness. Yeah. And I got so much heat on my Instagram account. And I mean, I can take it, you know, I've been doing this work for almost 16 years. So I, you know, I, I'm well prepared to handle any questions that come my way. Um, but, but it is interesting to me how much of a strong reaction people have to that because, you know, they just really, don't they can't even fathom what would it look like to stay and support this person through their big feelings what would i do because i'm going to be triggered right it's yeah. going to be too much for me so i think it's so, also parents like you know if that's a strategy i i i have found in my own personal dealings with families for the past couple of years and just in general even with teaching if a parent is using a strategy or is um 
has sort of accepted a certain philosophy when you present them with new information, even if it's factual and well-researched and, and grounded in all of that, oftentimes like the initial reaction is like, no, like you're wrong. This works. See, look, my kid does X. When I do this, they do this. And it's hard because I just think parents feel attacked very very easily. Like they, they're easy, they're easy to become defensive when in my, my philosophy, just in general life is to try to not take it as a defensive thing. It's like, that's how you learn and how you grow. And when you know something that's different or better or another way, why would you not want to try that? Because it's like, isn't that what it's all about? Um, so I can totally see that. Like parents just freaking out about it and like, no, timeouts work and this is what I do. And and it's it's coming from a place I think of more fear. And like you said, just kind of, I don't know, how would I even do that? This works, this quote unquote works for me, even though yeah. it's like, well, but it might work in the short term, but in the long term, you're not necessarily teaching what you think you're teaching. Absolutely. Well, and, and part of the challenge is obviously, you know, our triggers that come up, right, our, our experience being parented or being taught. But one of the main things that, that I hear from parents is, you know, this confusion about what specifically to do. And, and that's why I love to get away from theory and talk about tools, because obviously theory is important, right? That's, that's a good foundation. But anybody can talk about theory. We need to talk about how to implement it. Um, but like you said, right, when, when parents have some of these conditional responses, you know, if, if you don't do this, then we can't do that. It, part of the reason why it's so powerful is, number one, it's deeply ingrained in our brain from our experience. And it's really hard to break free of that. Um, especially for dads, right? I, I find that in my, in my private work with clients, the mom tends to get the concept a little bit more quickly. And obviously that's a huge generalization. It's not always like that. Um, but, but I have noticed that a lot of times, you know, I'll be working with clients for maybe a, a month or so. And, and then I'll get an email from a dad that says, well, my friend's child is using this behavior chart or they're paying them a quarter every time they stay in their bed, you know, can we do that? And I obviously have lots of graphics about, you know, why consequences are not helpful and what to do instead and all sorts of things. So I just send them all the graphics and say, you know, we'll talk about it in our next session. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but parents want to feel like they're doing something, right? They want to feel like I'm nipping this in the bud, I'm taking care of this, because for most parents, uh, you know, our worst case scenario is 20, 30 years in the future. I'll never forget my youngest is five. And a few years ago, you know, he was a normal toddler and he was getting a little bit aggressive one time. And I was talking to uh, a friend of mine who's also a parenting coach. Um, and I said to her, oh my gosh, Kate, you know, I'm just worried that he's going to grow up and abuse women, right? I mean, he was two years old at the time, but but my my you know thought as soon as he got aggressive over whatever frustration he was having which was totally valid you know in his development in his, his two year old mind yeah yeah but my biggest fear was what is this going to mean for his future right yeah. how how can i make sure that this behavior is taken care of immediately and that's often not the right approach so i always tell parents 
in the heat of the moment, we want to just focus on following through, right? What is the task at hand? How do you get from point A to point B? We never worry about teaching lessons or, you know, doing any of that in the moment because we only learn when our brains are, you know, connected and calm. And so that all of that happens in the follow-up. Certainly you could restate your expectation, right? You know, I, I can't let you hit. Um, you know, that ball is not for throwing, whatever may be your expectation in that moment. But I would leave it at that. I would not go into a long explanation. It's not safe. You could break it. You're going to hurt your brother. The baby's over there, right? All of that happens later when the child is actually receptive to what you're saying. Yeah. So you're, sorry, your, uh, your question earlier, Alana, about, you know, getting out the door. One of the tools that I use most with parents is play. Right. So I like to use play, obviously, to boost connection, to, you know, teach and practice lots of skills, especially emotional intelligence skills and basically, you know, whatever your goals are. But I love to use play to set limits because limits are not the same as consequences. Right. And I have a whole chart about comparing those. Um, But even though in the moment you may feel tempted to say something conditional, even the premac principle, right? When you put on your shoes, then we can go to the park. Even that is somewhat conditional. Um, although I'm, you know, I'm not opposed to that, you know, most of the time. But really, what I would, what I tell my clients to do, and what I do at home, is use play in those moments to just cut off the power struggle right from the beginning. And obviously, it you know, syncs your brain with your child's brain. So it helps everybody to be calm. It helps everybody have cognitive flexibility. It helps everybody to, you know, be more in the moment. So for getting out the door, which is an example that I use all the time, let's say that your child, you know, probably five or six or younger, right, you know, doesn't want to stop what they're doing or is really dilly-dallying when you're trying to get out the door, they won't put on their shoes. Our instinct as parents is to get harsh. Put on your shoes right now. If you don't put on your shoes, we're not going to the park, right? Look, you're wasting time now. We're not going to have time to go. You know, all the things, right? And we might even go further than that and use shame or, you know, talk about this is hurting my feelings. You know, you're disappointing me. You're ruining my day, right? All the things that we are tempted to say, um, which, you know, I understand completely. But one of the things that I ask parents to do in those moments, avoid all that talking and just use playfulness. So you might take their shoes and you might say, oh, you don't want to wear these shoes? Well, I love these light up shoes. I'm going to put them on and I'm going to put them on my elbow. What do you think? Does that work? Is that, is that where they go? And so, you know, obviously a child who's seven or older is more sophisticated. So you have to change your humor for them, right? Um, But for young kids, especially, that is definitely going to get them laughing. Yes. And in most cases, they're going to say, no, they don't go on your elbow. They go on your feet. So then you might try to put it on your hand. Oh, my feet? It goes like this. I'm going to walk. No, no, mommy. They go on your feet. And then they're pointing to your feet. And then you try to put it on your foot and you're saying, oh, oh, well, it doesn't seem to fit. It's too small. Then, of course, they're really laughing. And you might even ham it up a little bit and say, oh, this fits perfectly. I'm going to, you know, walk out the door and try to walk a little bit. And what happens with all of that laughter is that whatever tension or dysregulation was there that led to the power struggle or the 
the looming power struggle is now reset, right? You, yes. you genuinely reset the nervous system through that laughter, through that playfulness. So your child feels understood. Your child feels like you're on the same team, right? They feel super connected to you. And then in 99.9% of cases, they will be totally on board with being cooperative, right? You say, these shoes are too small for me. Oh, I know who they fit. They're your shoes. And then they're happy to sit in your lap and have you put them on. Or they might even say, those aren't your shoes, mommy. They're too small for you. They're my shoes. And then they sit down and happily start to put them on. So just the act of leaning in with some silliness and, you know, as bumbling as we could possibly be, right? We don't need, you know, we're not deceiving them, but we don't need to be right. We just need to be wacky. Yeah. And, and so that small action really goes really, um, you know, pretty far to reset their nervous system and, and invite cooperation or perhaps invite some feelings, right, that might need to get out before they can cooperate. And what happens is, you know, not only in that moment, but then the rest of the time, you know, you're much less likely to have power struggles or to get stuck in some of this dynamic because anything that directly affects a child's body is, is you know, sort of my, my top five, you know, prime places where power struggles are going to emerge. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're, you know, thinking, oh my gosh, that sounds like it's going to be really hard, Sheena, right? People tell me all the time, that sounds like it's going to take extra time and attention. So it does take extra attention because usually during transitions, we are less attuned as adults because we're focused on our stuff, right? We got our own agenda, Um, but it doesn't take more time. In fact, there's an amazing quote by Pam Leo, uh, who you're probably familiar with. And um, she, you know, said, obviously, you know, 20 years ago at this point, right? But she said, you know, either way you spend the time, either you spend the time initially being playful, giving emotional support, and, you know, just knowing that that's your job, or you spend the time having a power struggle, getting into it, everybody getting upset, and then you still have to repair. You still have to calm everybody down to get the shoes on to get out the door. Yes. And so, so what I have found both personally and of course in my work with clients is doing this playfulness genuinely ends up taking less time, mm-hmm. is more effective. And if you really, you know, set a timer, right, you would probably find that it takes a minute or less in most cases, yeah. which is a lot shorter than getting caught up in the cycle of a power struggle. Especially when you have a very strong willed child, as I do, multiple Yay for me, um, <laughs> who are very determined, which is fabulous, you know, for their future. But I say very difficult to parent just because it's the same way that I am. So it's like, you know, karma's a bitch, but it's just, it's difficult when they're like, this is what I want to do, you know, and, and my oldest has some um, sensory, like he just has some very minor things where it's like, if he gets a drop of water on his shirt, he has to change. And it's like, oh my God, like you have to change your shirt three times before we leave the house because you've got a drop of water. And, you know, and so it's funny because it's uh, recently in the past, um, you know, a couple months, uh, trying to be more aware of 
when I can see him getting, because at this point he's five and a half and he knows that he doesn't want to behave a certain way. Like he knows Mm. when it's wrong and it's really interesting to see. And you can tell that he's like, I know I shouldn't be reacting like this or I know I shouldn't be yelling or arguing with you or whatever, but it's like, he can't help it. And so at first I was sort of like, what is happening to my kid? He's being such a jerk. Like he turned five. Now all of a sudden he's talking back. He's, you know, giving me this attitude. He's just being so nasty. And I'm like, what's happening? And then it was like, I think that part of it was because he did realize that he like that, that kind of behavior got a certain reaction. And, but he also knows that that behavior isn't getting him the reaction that he wants, which is really just connection. And so I've been starting to try to be more playful with him in in ways, um, you know, when he's getting dressed or if he's fussing about something or fighting, like pushing back on a boundary, like not wanting to get dressed for bed or not wanting, you know, it's whatever, just any, any little thing. I mean, you know, parents, any little thing that you want your kids to do, right. They don't want to do it. And, um, it's funny. Cause like a simple thing, even if I like, like give him like a tiny little tickle, like in his armpit or something like, Oh, you don't want to put your shirt on. And then I like deet, 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 right in his armpit. Like it t- totally changes the whole dynamic. And then all of a sudden he's laughing and he's putting a shirt on and I'm like, Oh, Okay, you know, and it's it's funny because then I feel better too. I feel like his obviously when your your kids are happy, you're happier, and I found that that makes a difference in my emotional, like my ability to regulate my own emotions, right? Because my kids are happy or they're la- like I'm I'm play, you know, I'm doing something silly or I'm tickling them or I'm making a face or you know, sometimes he'll say something and I'll be like. I'll, I'll just kind of like, I won't mock, that's not the right word, but I'll like come back with something that's like silly and kind of off the cuff. And he's like, he'll, and he laughs because he's now he's kind of old enough to understand that I'm joking. And then just that simple little exchange kind of cuts like what you said, that power struggle. And it's, it's really pretty awesome to see. So that's good. That, that makes me feel good that I like sort of know some of this stuff, but. Well, and what you mentioned, you know, is so interesting. This is probably one of the biggest things, you know, that we've learned through neuroscience that that really anchors the developmental approach is that we used to think that a lot of behaviors, particularly things like, you know, not not necessarily tantrums, we could see that that's out of control. But when kids say no, or they get in power struggles with us, or they resist, or they run away, or they do exactly what we tell them not to do, right? We used to think that that was intentional. And what we know now is that kids are just much more bottom up in their orientation. And so they're almost closer to the ground, right? Figuratively and literally in terms of their experience and their processing of their, you know, environment. And so, whereas we may have the cognitive skills to have that top down approach, right? Maybe I'm angry but I choose not to yell at the person in front of me at the grocery store when they have 15 items in the 10 item line, right? That's a maturity thing that's from development and skills that I can, you know, even if I'm like standing there grumbling to myself, I'm not going to go off on the little old lady in front of me, right? Um, but, But kids just don't have that kind of cognitive control because all of those skills are executive functioning skills. Yes. 
And, and so even for kids that are older than six who might have more access to some of those executive functioning skills, right, we know that if anybody's doing something that is, like I said earlier, not seeking connection, we know that they're dysregulated. So anytime that your child is, you know, having a hard time, I would just assume it's not their choice, right? They're, they don't want to behave this way. They're not trying to get a certain reaction. This is just what their neural wiring has, you know, shown them, right? This is, this is the, uh, what we've done before. So this is what we're going to do again. And that's why, you know, breaking some of that cycle with playfulness or with listening can really integrate some of those internal uh, experiences and processes so that we don't necessarily reinforce, you know, some of those patterns. But, um, but yeah, knowing that most behavior for our kids and even for anybody under stress, even for a grown up with a fully developed brain, um, is almost always not intentional. Yeah. And it's so funny. I was just thinking about one of the things that kind of got me to do what I'm doing now is the fact that I teach these high school students and I have been teaching for about 10 years. And I just see such an inability to regulate emotions, to stop themselves from yelling at somebody who's in there, you know, doing something they don't want or um, to understand boundaries, all these things to have that sort of intrinsic motivation, um, you know, teamwork skills and and all these executive functioning skills, planning ahead and managing, you know, managing their time and, and, and their emotions and all. And it, it drove me to like learning about early childhood. And when I had my own kids, I was like, you know, I don't want my kids to end up like this. And so Mm. what can I do? And it came back, kept coming back to play, 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 play. Like kids need to play. That's how they develop emotional and social and, and academic skills. And so through that, that's how I sort of developed my brand and my company and what I'm trying to do. And um, it's funny because I, I started doing these videos of my kids, like candid videos of them playing just because I, well, I had this whole intention of doing like a whole series about it, but um, it was interesting because especially when I'm not in the, in the, their space, watching them, the two of them and my two older two who are now five and a half and four work through stuff, whatever it is, you know, they're building a castle and the blocks fall down or whatever. Someone puts a block on something that the other person didn't want them to put a block on and watching them figure out how to manage their disappointment when their castle gets knocked over or their frustration when they're not being given a turn or whatever it is. And I've found over the past, as I've been sort of been documenting this, if you will, for the past year and a half, and I've, I've found that their ability to do that has been, it has improved like whatever. And I know part of that's with age, but I'm convinced, and this is why I'm doing what I'm doing, that giving these kids like time and space away from you to play, to be in their own zone, to really navigate their own issues really is how they start to develop that ability, right? Like if we're constantly helping them regulate over every little thing, um, then they never have a chance to practice that. They don't have a chance to practice the skills that you're teaching sort of like throughout the day. So then when 
there by themselves with other kids, whether it's at school or whatever, if they haven't had time to sort of practice, right? Like those skills of taking turns or negotiating or um, regulating their emotions, whatever it is, then their, their, their skills are weak. And I feel like my, I've seen my kids grow in that way where I have videos of them and, you know, no one's around and they're, Charlotte, may I please have the block? And they're going back and forth and, or, you know, oh, I want to put this here. Okay. I understand, but I want to put it here. So can we take a turn? You know, and I'm like, whoa, like this is exactly what kids need. And I feel like such a big part of the reason why older kids have such difficulty in so many different ways is because they're not given this time to really play like on their own and also having the kinds of relationships with parents, like what we're talking about, where you're guiding them. You're not like, you know, you're not thinking. So when I say discipline, I, I mean discipline in terms of teaching, you know, Mm -hmm. you're teaching discipline isn't consequence. Like you're go, go to your room. You know, that's not discipline to me. Discipline is the art, (laughs) which it is of, of teaching your kids certain skills and um, it's just interesting because I feel like it all kind of, it all kind of comes together. Yeah. When well, you probably know from your work with teens as well, because my oldest is 16. Um, I, I, I think that one of the big deficits, certainly in terms of, you know, regulatory skills, but, but all, all sorts of things, you know, including identity and, you know, some of those, uh, you know, more personality pieces, right, that come out when, when people are older, a lot of that really also comes from, especially young children, but at people at any age, not getting high quality emotional support when there's truly in distress. Yes. Right. So, so like you were mentioning with siblings, probably one of the top questions I get about siblings, other than how do I help my, my child, you know, transition to becoming a sibling, right? But but the other question I get most about siblings is, what do I do about sibling fighting? What do mm-hmm. I do when they don't get along? And the the party line is, you know, let them work it out. Don't interfere unless something is, you know, somebody's getting hurt. And that is not the advice that I give. I always tell parents, we cannot expect kids to work it out if they don't have the skills to work it out. They yeah. need us to support them you know, in some of those skills. And then when we see some mastery, then we can hang back and observe and then, you know, support as needed. But, but certainly, well, when somebody, it's more like the guiding versus like, um, I feel like that's at least how I think about it. Like I try to guide them. So for example, if they're fighting over, I don't know who gets the whatever, um, you know, it's more like, you know, or today, for example, my daughter took the last, this was literally happened like half an hour ago. My daughter took the last, it was like a Lara bar or like a cliff bar, whatever it was, like a snack that she was having. And I didn't realize it was the last one. So I told her she could have it. And then my son, of course, was like, that was the last one. And she, by herself, offered him a piece, which I, I was like, wow, Charlotte, that was so kind. And then I was like, and Henry was upset because he wanted like half he's older. He's like, I want half. This is not half. So she was sort of pushing back. Well, this is mine. I said, Charlotte, this morning there was a donut downstairs. I I had picked up donuts. Yes. Two days ago. It's like, 
we don't usually eat this much sugar, I promise, but, um, (laughs) and I cut it into thirds. So each one of my kids could have like an equal piece. And I said, Charlotte, how would you have felt if Henry ate your piece of the donut? And she was like, she kind of stopped for a second and she was like, I'm just going to have one more little bite and then you can have the rest. And like, it was kind of like talking them through versus being like, give him half of that. Like, you know, coaching her how for, for her to be able to solve the problem between the two of them without me necessarily having to tell them what or how to solve it. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Absolutely. Well, and, and, you know, your example is such a good one about when kids are in what I call sort of the yellow zone, right, where they're, they're not quite regulated, but they're not totally dysregulated, right? They're still able to access some of that clear thinking. So they can rationalize or they can think about somebody else's perspective. But, but anytime that someone is truly in the red zone, right, when they're really distressed, they obviously they need us to really just stay and listen to their feelings and provide that validation and support. And I know that most teenagers and most kids are not getting that because I know that most parents didn't get that and are really struggling with that. And so, so I would, you know, I certainly am a big advocate of play. Like I think you said you're play enthusiast, which I just love. Um, But, but I would, I would say the, the, Emotional CPR is also one of those crucial factors for building the, you know, the real resilience and the skills that they need later in life because having that ability to just feel your feelings and not be judged and, you know, be able to have that space unconditionally to be as raw and vulnerable as you need to be and having somebody who you really trust who can be there with you and hold that space and not change the way they think about you or look at you or treat you. That's probably the number one thing that we need for integration. And one of the reasons why a lot of young people and adults struggle with regulation, executive functioning, self-esteem, relational skills, right? All of the things that, that I would, you know, categorize as really sort of attachment wounds, mm-hmm. right? Uh, one of the reasons why a lot of there's a lot of deficits there is because they didn't really have this high quality emotional support, and and so it's it's crucial. Um, you know, obviously sometimes we can use play and other things to help our kids manually reset, but yeah. there are, when our reserves are high, we want to be offering that that uh, emotional CPR as well. Absolutely. So we're going to wrap up, but can you tell everybody where to find you like on social media, your website, however they can get in touch? Yeah. So my practice is called Parenting Works and I'm based in Baltimore, Maryland on the East Coast, uh, but I see parents all over the Northern Hemisphere uh, through a HIPAA compliant video software system. So um, so even, even some time differences aren't a huge deal um, except if I'm like in, you know, if I'm somebody is in New Zealand or something, that's that's a little bit harder to work out. But Northern Hemisphere is, is good with me. Um, so on uh, Facebook, it's parenting with a capital P and then works with a capital W, no space. And on Instagram, it's all lowercase with an underscore between parenting and works. Um, and so, you know, people can find me on either of those social media accounts. 
I am not hip. So those are the only two social media accounts that I have. I am not on TikTok. I am not on whatever the new thing is going to be next. Oh, I hear you. I'm not on those things either. Um, and your website is just uh, Parenting Works. So my website is actually my name. It's SheenaHill.com. Okay. So I'm going to put all this information in the show notes, guys, if you want to um, check them out. And anything awesome. else that you want to leave us with? Sure. So, um, I mean, obviously, if you get me on social media, you know, I post lots of useful graphics with, you know, tools and information about research. I love to create graphics. So, so if you're looking for some sort of quick, easy, digestible things, then social media is the place to go. I also am the parenting expert on an, a free app called The Happy Child. I consulted to create the app, but I did not pick the name. So that is not the name I would have chosen, but I, I created the content for the app. And then um, I you know just answer parenting questions for free on the app. So the app is fabulous. Um, you know, obviously I'm biased, but we're getting amazing feedback on the app. Um, and it's basically daily emotional intelligence lessons. There's also a version for couples, which is called In Love While Parenting, which both people can download and then sync their accounts. So you could be sharing your learning experience. And then, of course, if people have questions, they can always ask them for free through the app. And uh, and I answer those questions through the app. Very cool. All right. Awesome. Well, I will link everything in the show notes so you guys can check it all out. And Sheena, thank you so much. This was awesome. It was so nice to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Hey, friend. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Play, Learn, Thrive show. I'm happy you stopped by for another week of learning with me. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. I so appreciate your feedback. I'd also love for you to join our community of over 20,000 parents on Instagram. You can find us at Play, Learn, Thrive Kids. 